3: Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, don't judge a book by its horrible jaws. We're talking about sharks, spiders, and other creepy crawlies that go bump in the night, and we're finding, oh, they have a sweet side. We'll get to know these nasty gnashers by a slightly different side of themselves. And we'll answer the age old question Can you hug a shark? Maybe not. I wouldn't do it. But, you know, could you? Joining me today to make friends and finfluenced people is host of the podcast Lower After Hours and Jort Center, Christy Yamaguchi Maine.
4: Hello, Katie. Thanks for having me again. I would absolutely hug a shark just to get that <laughs> out of the way, uh, given the opportunity.
3: Legally speaking, legally speaking on this podcast to legally indemnify ourselves, I would say don't hug a shark because it could bite you. But, you know, I think there are... I mean, a whale shark, honestly, I'd hug a whale shark.
4: Oh, absolutely. If and it wanted uh, a hug. Like, what, what's another... Like, uh, I feel like a nurse shark is probably yeah. okay.
3: They might nip at you. I feel like it's kind of up to the shark. Yeah. I, I think, like, if the shark... If the shark's not too dangerous like a whale shark, but it if it doesn't want to hug, I don't want to hug a shark that doesn't want to hug. Sure, I mean? sure.
4: Absolutely, absolutely. Like, Con, consent is key there. Uh, yeah. And if the shark gives you permission to hug it, then sure. Get, right, give it exactly. a hug all day long.
3: Right, but if a great white shark is saying like, come on, bring it on in here, then I would be a little hesitant because Probably I'd be wondering— a- Got like a bib sh- with a little human thing on it, like a human icon on it, like a lobster bib. Yes, with a human exactly. Being
4: on it. It's uh, it's it's it looks just like you, you know, going to eat at Long John Silver's or right. something. He got like it's- a
3: fork and a knife, and he's licking his lips in a cartoonish fashion. He's like, yes, "Come on, give me a hug, human."
4: Exactly. Or or a baby shark, I will say. <laughs> like I have not. Oh yeah. I, I don't think I've ever hugged a shark before, but I've definitely you know pet a shark, like a. a you would a cat or a dog or something at like the touch tank at an aquarium. Yeah. Uh that's always Yeah, baby sharks
3: are some of the cutest little things in the world. They look like I don't know, they look like angry little kitties to me, but with fins.
4: I think uh PETA some years ago was trying to start a campaign where they changed Basically, they were trying to get the public to refer to fish and sharks as sea kittens.
3: Yeah, I remember that. Uh,
4: yeah, and, uh, you know, good good effort. I, I'm not <laughs> not going to knock PETA. I don't want them it's angrily. Uh, uh, exactly. I, I don't want them coming after me or anything. Um, but, yeah, not all fish, uh, I, I think, deserve to be compared to kittens, but definitely yeah. some of them. And I think yeah. sharks are, are included in that.
3: Have you ever seen a baby uh, salmon shark? They are uh, no, absolutely I don't think so. adorable. They got big old eyes. They're super cute.
4: oh,, Oh my God. Okay. I have seen this picture before, but I did not I thought it was like a baby Great White or something.
3: No, no, it's a baby salmon shark. Oh
4: wow. Oh my god, that's adorable. Yeah. yeah, it looks it looks like a uh like an anime version of a shark or something. <laughs> have
3: you heard of there's a there's a forum on Reddit. Called, I think Sundari Sharks. Have you yes. seen that? Where yes. they they turn the sharks into like anime characters that blush and and
4: they're like biting the uh, the ex- the hull of a boat and saying, yeah. "Notice me, senpai." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I forgot oh, about I that completely. It. It's so it. good. It's so good. Yeah.
3: And so in our imaginations, sharks are very cute. Of course, I, I don't necessarily advocate going up to a shark. I think most sharks just kind of want to be left alone by humans. And, and I'm joking about great white sharks, you know, wanting to eat humans. Typically, they just want to avoid us. In fact, there's that drone footage that shows a lot of sharks off the coast of California, more than we thought further inland uh, or, or closer to land. And it really demonstrates that these sharks, including great white sharks, just don't really want to have anything to do with humans. They, they don't want to eat us necessarily. They just don't want to interact with us. We're not their typical diet, and they just kind of want to leave us alone and be left alone. But that doesn't mean that all sharks are just kind of loners. In fact, there are a lot of sharks that do love to have friends, Unfortunately, it's not us that they want to be friends with, but they do want to be friends with each other. They are not just soulless predators with black eyes like a doll's eyes. Uh, <laughs> they recognize the power of friendship. It's so cute.
4: That's adorable.
3: So new observations of multiple species of sharks seems to indicate that they form long-term friendships with each other. What? So... Yeah, a study tracking the movements of gray reef sharks in the ocean near Hawaii has found that they seem to prefer to spend time with specific individuals, which indicates some kind of sharky friendship.
4: That's amazing. I had no idea that they like that they had the the I guess I don't want to knock the intelligence of a shark. I know creatures are intelligent <laughs> in, in all sorts of different ways, but I didn't know that they had like the kind of brain capacity to really uh, recognize other shark friends long term. Yeah, no, I get it
3: because, you know, I think about intelligent sea animals. I think of maybe whales and dolphins. Right, uh, right. I don't think of a, you know, typically you don't think of a shark as being a, an intelligent animal. You think of it as sort of this like, Swimming kill machine, but exactly, exactly, but yeah, they 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 have the capacity, they have the memory to recognize their friends for years, and they uh, have the emotional capacity to seek out that friendship. Now, there are some species of sharks, like great white sharks, who aren't that friendly with each other. They don't really form friendships in this way. It does at least not our observations up to this point haven't really seemed to indicate that. Um, But yeah, gray reef sharks, uh, which are, they're an intimidating looking shark. They're very sort of sharky looking shark. They grow up to be about six feet or two meters long. They're uh, fairly aggressive when it comes to other shark species. They'll defend their territory, uh, but they are very friendly with their own species. And the observed friendships between two individual sharks has been shown to last for years.
4: Wow. The
3: only reason we don't know how long it lasts is that the batteries on the shark tracking devices ran out. What? And Yeah. So that's what I want in a friendship, one that lasts longer than a shark tracking device battery.
4: What do you think like so you think these sharks like uh, uh do recreational activities with each other as well? Like yes. are they they hunt with each other? They uh, hang out like okay. Yeah. Are sharks is a group of sharks called a school, or is it something else for for sharks? You other know, that's than fish? a good
3: question. I think it is school.
4: So these these lifelong shark friends, I think met school in school. Is perfectly
3: good. Yeah.
4: Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm just trying to give a little backstory to these shark friendships. Yeah. Um. So they they met in school, become <laughs> lifelong friends. They have similar interests. Um and then human observers get real weird and put tags on them uh and they uh outlast the the human batteries the, yeah. the tags that's incredible
3: Yeah I just that's so it's, it's so poetic it's like It's like, you know, you've got shark number one going like, man, I'm going to be friends longer than this battery on this tag (laughs) lasts. I think it's conceivable that these could be lifelong friendships. We just don't know because our dang batteries don't last as long as sharks love for each other.
4: That's beautiful. I love this so much. I love this so (laughs) much. Now, Gray Reef sharks, are those Atlantic or Pacific or just kind of like all over?
3: They I think they're pretty cosmopolitan meaning they're all over okay. but uh gotcha. I think uh yeah they're they're in the Indo-Pacific they can be uh they can go as far west as South Africa or okay. as far east as the Easter Islands so so yeah kind of in that that region
4: I I something that I've I've learned recently is just how like like great whites in particular are literally all over the world. Like I don't think there's an ocean, or there might be, but uh, that great whites don't travel through. They swim such long distances, and I wasn't sure if if that was unique to that species or if if a lot of other sharks did the same thing. Yeah,
3: no, a lot of a lot of uh, sharks do do. Cover wide areas of territory. I mean, the great reef shark is one of these. Like, if you look at a map at their their territories, there, like, you can see them off the coast of Australia, off the coast of India, off the coast of Africa, off the coast of like Pacific islands. So, so wow. yeah, they they have quite a quite a uh, wide range, and they they can travel pretty good distances. In fact, one of the things they love to do together is they surf together. They ride waves in groups. Uh, especially with their friends, so they can relax and even get some sleep while traveling great distances together.
4: What? So they're boogie boarding with each yeah,
3: other. Yeah. Yeah.
4: That's amazing. Just, I love this so much.
3: They're just a bunch of bros
4: surfing. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> like, I, I, so I grew up and still live here at the beach and. It's one of those things that that like you always know when you're you know swimming out in the surf. You were talking about that drone footage earlier. You like there are sharks around you all the time, and it's it's once you understand that and you realize I've never never had an encounter with one, you realize how much they do to stay out of the way yeah. of of humans. They are not after you. You are not a fish. They know yeah. you're not a fish, um, and. It takes a very large... Like these, these sharks, you said they get up to about six feet long? Yeah. Okay. Like that's that's a, a perfect size for like a shark that like looks intimidating, but really poses no threat no. to you whatsoever. No, they,
3: they don't want to tangle with you. Their diet is, is fish and yeah. definitely not human-sized fish. These guys... Really, I mean, they really don't pose that much of a threat to humans. they might they might bite you like if you really get in their face and you really threaten them. But right, uh, I think most of these species that I'm talking about in terms of like because there are more it's not just the gray reef sharks that that form friendships. Uh, they, they tend to really not pose that much of a threat to humans uh, as long as you're not like really aggravating them. In fact, they, most of the time they just kind of want to get away with you and go hang out with their shark buddies.
4: Can I tell you a very weird shark story that I have? Yeah. So when I was like probably eight years old, um, as I said, I grew up, you know, fishing around here uh, uh, growing up at the beach. We went a couple miles out in the ocean And my dad ended up landing a hammerhead shark. And it was the scariest thing that I had ever experienced (laughs) at that point. Because this thing was probably about seven foot long. um, Maybe longer. Uh, And I don't know the exact species of hammerhead. But he landed it. We... Went to clean it that night because we ate everything that we caught. We didn't do this for sport or anything. And I would never endorse anybody catching sharks now. Yeah. But this was no, like that,
3: Yeah, the the fear the fear of sharks as well as them being like in a lot of I guess dishes that are, are highly sought after makes them targets for for hunting. Yeah. And people yeah. don't often don't have sympathy for them because they think of them as just these monsters. And they're they're not. They're, you know, jaws really Painted a horrible picture of them, which is not for true.
4: sure. Well, we, we took that shark home. We cleaned it, but when we cleaned it or when my dad cleaned it, rather, I was, like I said, I was completely freaked out by this yeah. thing thrashing around on the deck of this, you know, small grady white boat. Um, it had babies
3: oh. inside
4: its stomach
3: oh. and
4: which is very sad and yeah. not to bring down your listenership, <laughs> but uh we were fascinated by it. We went and got alcohol and preserved these baby sharks. Oh wow! And like gave them uh, to our family members for like presents and stuff. And I had a uh, uh, basically an embalmed baby hammerhead shark wow. in my room for the longest time.
3: That is really cool and sad, and I have it to see is. it. You have to show it to I, me
4: sometime. I, it deteriorated oh. long ago. This was like 25 years uh, ago at this it. point. Yes. So it's it's long bit, you know, we weren't professional, you know, scientists embalming these these uh specimen back then. But yeah, I had one for a, the, a very long time. So, that's my weird shark story. Don't do that. Don't catch shark. <laughs> Uh, if you hook one by accident, throw it back. Pet yeah. it on the head first, if it yeah. if it allows you, and then throw like, it back. Say
3: hi to your buddies for me. <laughs> exactly, and then, exactly. And then toss it back.
4: Hundred percent.
3: In terms of threats to humans, so so the uh, gray reef shark is probably the the most aggressive of the sharks we're going to talk about. They they do they will attack humans. Like I said, they're they're pretty aggressive towards other shark species, and they defend their territory, and they'll do the same with. With humans and and they can do like uh serious uh, you know attacks on people. I don't really think they tend to be deadly though. It's just like you don't want to
0: you want to have them take
3: a chunk out of you.
4: It's like a dog licking you. You know what I mean? That's like, not they're,
3: true. They're just
4: <laughs> wanting pets. That's all it is. They just want a hug.
3: <laughs> no, no they they will they will bite you. They're sort of like a. Imagine a giant chihuahua, undersea chihuahua with much sharper, powerful teeth, and you've got a gray reef shark.
4: (laughs) It's like uh, PETA would call them a sea chihuahua.
3: A sea chihuahua, Uh, exactly. A
4: sea-wawa. A sea-wawa surfing with
3: their friends.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Boogie boarding for some attention. That's it.
3: But, so that's gray reef sharks, but sand tiger sharks are another group of cuties who hold fins and make friends together. Well, okay, maybe they don't like hold fins, but they will huddle together with their friends. So sand tiger sharks are fairly big sharks that can grow over 10 feet or around three meters long. Uh, They were observed during their migration along the coast of the Eastern US and appear to have complex social behavior and form friend groups. The groups tend to be sex-based, with females hanging out with each other and males kind of hanging out with each other. So like a middle school dance, you know?
2: absolutely. Where
3: you have all the girls on one side and all the boys on one side. I don't know if that's the case anymore. Maybe the younger generations have fixed that sort of issue. But I know when I was in middle school, you would have like these two groups of scared kids where you had all the boys huddled together and all the girls huddled together. And sometimes you dare someone to go out and try to ask a boy for a dance. But uh, as the uh,
4: as the stepdad of of three boys that have, uh, you know, come up through middle school not too long ago, uh, it's still very awkward. It's it's 100 (laughs) percent still like that, I think.
3: The kids have not solved that. Issue no,
4: not yet. no. We uh, uh, they. They have to solve that before they solve like global warming and <laughs> uh, all the ills that. Uh, that I don't the world know. I think that might be. I think
3: them. that might be just a, a thing that lasts for time eternal. Like when yes. we're in robot bodies and we have the female and male robots, or probably we'll have all sorts of different uh, fluid genders of robots because we'll we'll have we'll become much more advanced we'll have evolved, in our society. Absolutely. But then we'll we'll still it will still be like beep <laughs> boop, this is awkward.
4: <laughs> yes. Uh we, we will we will have our utopia in the future. Yes. Uh, except for that. Except that will for middle still school dances. Us, we'll have
3: completely advanced in our views on gender, <laughs> except for middle school dances yep. where where we'll still find it very awkward. Uh, but yeah, so so sharks, you know, have very awkward middle school dances. But they, the reason that they tend to make these sex based groups is because the females are probably evading mating pressures when they don't want to mate, so they just okay. avoid the dudes. Um, and when sand tigers do mate, they nibble at each other, which I guess is cute. It's a little weird.
4: It's a it's a very good idea on the uh, the lady sand tiger sharks. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's a good idea. They, they've got the uh the right idea there. Yeah, just just avoid the guys altogether. Yeah. it makes makes life simpler, <laughs> and uh and and less pressure filled and all that all that good stuff.
3: Yeah, just just uh just have a girls' day out. Just you know, doing a feeding frenzy with the girls. You
4: know? <laughs> exactly. I love, I love... Doing a
3: feeding frenzy with the gals.
4: They really are cuddling though. Like this yeah. one's got its its lower. It's it's got its lower jaw resting on the dorsal fin yes. of another sand tiger shark. Yeah. It's so cute.
3: Yeah, yeah. They they huddle together. They they basically do everything except hook their little fins together and and skip through a field of sea flowers.
4: <laughs> of of seaweeds, right? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's but, yeah, it's these- adorable.
3: These guys also even though their teeth look really like you you can see that picture of their teeth they, they look quite intimidating. They really don't like to attack humans they they tend to keep their distance they're not they're not very aggressive. Uh, obviously with any shark like you don't want to just like go up to a shark and if you're not like an expert and poke it on the nose because it might bite you because it's like hey, get out of my face like you're not you're not my buddy. Exactly. Uh, but like, yeah, they, they're, they are much more gentle than they look, which I think is really sweet. Uh, and it, lemon sharks are another species of shark. They sound like they would be really cute little lemon-shaped sharks, but they are actually really big and just sharky looking. So they uh, grow up to around 11 feet, around 3.5 meters long, and they are wow. found in the Western Atlantic. And they have very complex social lives. They like to form groups Usually their groups are based on similar age or size. Although sometimes young sharks like to hang out with the bigger sharks to learn from them. It's sort of like someone in middle school trying to hang out with the high schoolers like, yeah, I'm one of you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want to see my Pokemans? Oh, we're not playing with Pokemans anymore. I'm sorry.
4: <laughs> I love is that. So That that's how lemon sharks sound. That's, yeah. well, that's little,
3: their voice. Ju- little lemon sharks like li- little baby lemon sharks right, trying to hang out right. with bigger lemon sharks like hey guys you want to see my Pokemans now we're eating fish okay <laughs> I guess I can eat a fish but if you want to see my Pokemans later I gotta bind it full of Pokemans
4: <laughs> I'm trying to think of what what uh one of these what, what a little lemon sharks like Pokemon starter would be Uh, probably the what was this, a squirtle or like yeah, a, a, a Gyarados or something
3: yeah or like Magikarp yeah Magikarp definitely but I, their car, the Magikarp my... card's got a few bites taken out of it because yes. they're kind of hungry
4: I can't I don't know my Pokemans uh, no, yeah. well enough to know if there's a shark one um, but oh, maybe yes. let me, there, let me there's gotta shark be there's gotta be right
3: oh I spelled it wrong it's Pokemon <laughs> yeah there's lots of sharky Pokemon
4: okay Sharpedo
3: okay. that's that's a torpedo shaped shark Pokemon uh, who is a dual water dark type Pokemon introduced in Generation Three?
4: That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. And yeah. at Katie on Twitter with your <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> recommendations for uh, yeah, sure. uh, little little shark kids playing Great. Pokemon.
3: Yeah, man. I mean, like, <laughs> and I, got I got my my uh, my shark anime. Have you seen Shark Anime? Sundaria Sharks. Hey, guys, where are you going, guys? Oh I see following following the blood trail, huh? That's pretty cool too.
4: I will sit here and let you do that as long as you want. I love that voice.
3: (laughs) So so yeah, lemon sharks, a bunch of little cuties hanging out. Little sharks sometimes hanging out with the big sharks, trying to learn learn how to play shark games with them. And this group living can be beneficial to the sharks in terms of safety and hunting. But there's some evidence to suggest that they form friendships and social groups out of a desire for companionship, even when controlling for the practical benefits of being in a group. So basically this research is trying to demonstrate that regardless of whether they would tangibly benefit from being in this group, they still form these groups because they just want that companionship. And it's similar when you think about humans. Like when we form companionships for normal people, non sociopathic people, when people form a friendship, you you think about like, you're not thinking, okay, what is this friend going to do for me? Like, how am I going to get stuff out of this friend? Hopefully in in good friendship.
4: Ideally, right?
3: Ideally. And you, you form these connections because you genuinely want to hang out. And sometimes you do benefit each other, right? Like you do. It's like, oh, hey, you know, I know this great place to eat or something and and you get benefits from each other. Uh, But it's not, you're not forming a friendship just to be like, okay, I'm going to form this friend. I'm going to hang out with them in the hopes that they find a good restaurant for me to eat at. And that's your (laughs) only, if that is... You need to actually friendship.
4: I I think I've probably gone into a friendship with that motivation before. I'm not gonna lie. (laughs) It's like this person probably knows where the good food's at, uh, or or I know that they have a background in cooking or something, and like I'm I'm just trying to you know snag a a, a, an invitation (laughs) for dinner one night.
3: Like no shame in that, as long as you also give as (laughs) well as take in that friendship but you but when we hang out with people and we form connections it's an emotional thing like we right. don't we don't necessarily think of all of this through but we do end up benefiting and this is in our evolutionary history we are motivated by emotion to hang out with each other and it does end up benefiting us in the long run in our evolutionary history but we form these social groups not purely out of sort of a cold calculation typically and this is what these researchers are starting to think is the case with these sharks is that they are forming these groups not out of like some kind of shark calculation of like if i hang out with this group there's more fish it's like an emotional bond that they have that it's kind of like when you your cat you know your cat has an emotional bond with you of course they just want food out of you but they actually do form an emotional bond with you oh yeah Sure, they're little they're little satanic demons. I get that. But <laughs> they do they do have the capacity, I think, to have an emotional bond with you, even though they are, technically speaking, just trying to get food out of you. It is I think they have this genuine feeling. They want a companionship. That, so they'll come up and want to get pets and stuff from you even when they're not hungry, even when they don't need food. And it's the same thing with these sharks. They want companionship even when they don't, it's like not, not directly benefiting them in the long term, evolutionarily speaking, it does benefit them, but it comes from this place of emotional desire, potentially, which if that's the case, this is really revolutionizing our understanding of sharks, because we don't think of them as being emotional, as, as being able to have feelings, you know, it's like, They've got black eyes like a doll's eyes. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so yeah, I mean, just the name shark is synonymous with like a person that is cold and calculating yeah. and and you know, doesn't show emotion and is kinda I mean, just kind of a, a bad person, you know, yeah. unless unless you're thinking of like a pool shark. But even then they're like coming in to take your money and that's right. it. And, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh there's no reason that we should have that preconceived notion about these animals. But, you know, because of human language and us needing analogies for things all the time, we, we uh, uh, wrongfully give people names of animals when (laughs) they don't necessarily represent that animal whatsoever.
3: Yeah, exactly. And I think, especially with sea animals, marine animals, uh, we they've evolved so separately from us. Not I'm not talking about marine mammals because obviously we share an evolutionary history with them. But marine right. other marine animals like sharks, fish, uh, you know cephalopods like squid and octopuses. Which again we've we've learned that octopuses and have potentially very complex emotions and and intelligence. Uh, But they don't have, we don't see their body signals are so different from any mammal. Like we can kind of read the mood of a dog. We've co-evolved with a dog. We can kind of intuitively understand what mood a dog is in. We can even read the mood of something that we haven't maybe co-evolved with as much. If you see like a a, a lion or something, you can kind of get a sense of the lion, what the lion is feeling. Maybe maybe not always accurately, but but we can read their expressions somewhat. A shark, they're unreadable to us. Yeah, they, they're yeah. so alien that looking at a shark face, they don't have expressions. They don't really have facial expressions that we can read. They, their body expressions are inscrutable. So we kind of just assume, I guess, that they don't have emotions when, of course, that's probably not true. They probably do have an emotional life. Especially, I, I think carnivores, uh, predators, are often more intelligent because they have to be. They they have to have some intelligence to hunt. Hunting is difficult. So I think it would be surprising if one of these main predators of the ocean is not intelligent and doesn't have any emotional intelligence. I think that would be much more strange than, than something that has to hunt and, 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 you know, have this complex behavior, just like being an empty kind of like soulless robot that, that right. doesn't make any sense.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh from now on, I'm going, anytime I see a shark wag its tail, uh, <laughs> wag its tail fin, I'm just going to assume it's happy. Just like a yeah. dog, just like I would a dog. I'm going <laughs> to extend, that, uh, you know, credit to the shark that it's in a good mood and it wants a hug from me. This I'm podcast obsessed.
3: is not responsible for loss of limbs encountered <laughs> during the assumption that you should rub the belly of a shark, even if it looks super cute.
4: I want to rub the belly of a shark so bad. <laughs> uh, also, like the the lemon shark. You're right. Like the, the names for these creatures do so much heavy lifting as far as our preconceived notion because these things are massive and the the sand like a sand tiger shark sounds badass like it just sounds like it is going to hunt you down same thing with like a thrasher shark and a thrasher shark might i don't know what the temperament of a thrasher is but like these names again they're they they give these preconceived notions of of these creatures and in reality we know so little about them.
3: Yeah, thr- thrashers are actually they're threshers, which I don't oh, know. Oh, that's what, right. That's, I don't know I why it, it does sound like thrasher though, and they they look intimidating because they've got this really long, spiky tail, and they they leap out of the water really like they can do these incredible leaps. But yeah, they're they're no threat to humans at all, really.
4: See, but the the name and and you're absolutely right. It is a thresher shark. I, I grew up thinking it was thrasher shark because Well, that's, that's the,
3: understandable, right? Because what's but, threshing?
4: I don't know. <laughs> is that is that an actual? Is that like some scientist's name I don't or know. is it like is it a verb of some sort?
3: Let me see if I can look that up because I have no idea where that came from.
4: I, I don't. I have no idea why today. is
3: why is it called a thresher shark? Oh, okay. So it's the I see. So it's the name for their their tail looks like a scythe, which I guess is like threshing when you're like
0: yeah. cutting down
3: wheat or something. It's yep, called like yep. threshing or a thresher. So since its tail looks like a thresher, like a scythe, that's why they're called thresher sharks. That's
4: like, super badass, actually. It is very
3: badass. <laughs> they look really cool. They look that's very like- scary, but they really are not... That's what dangerous. death
4: carries, right? He carries a scythe. Yeah, a scythe. Like, yeah.
3: Yeah, we should so, just call them scythe sharks. That's, that's badass. metal.
4: Metal yeah. AF. <laughs> Love it. Love it.
0: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
2: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments.
0: The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of
1: candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change.
4: True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become.
1: Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Christy, what is your attitude towards spiders
4: love them absolutely <laughs> love them i love all critters for the most part uh except for like the giant cockroaches that we have here in southeastern north carolina that are like this big yeah no yeah. lie um those get a little annoying especially when they fly right at your face yeah uh, when you're like on the back porch but when it comes to spiders i will not kill a spider i will let them live in my house i always trap them and then rehome them outside um because they're they're little spider bros they're just trying to keep my house yeah. insect free you know
3: yeah i have like a size limit of spiders all lit stay in <laughs> in the in the house it's sort of the opposite of like a, a carnival ride you must be this tall to ride it's like <laughs> so, you must be this small to stay in my house but right. if they're under like if they're smaller than like a quarter then it's like yeah no you can hang out in here and and if they're larger than a quarter, I do try to catch them and put them outside. I have once instinctively, like, stomped on a spider that was larger than oh, a quarter. No. And I felt so bad. I was like, oh, no, I'm sorry. But it was dead.
4: Oops. I Man, I'm going to... I feel like I just keep bumming out your listeners. But, like, I stepped on a wolf spider one time and uh by accident and just like hundreds of babies Aww. like were, that were riding on her back just like it was like it <laughs> did you like,
3: kill bambi's mother too i did
4: i did <laughs> uh sorry to reveal that um but yeah she
3: is the backstory of every <laughs> disney movie involving animals
4: uh, i killed charlotte's uh i killed charlotte and yeah. but and and her babies parachuted away um what else did I kill? Um no the but just like the the immediate kind of like again I love spiders but the immediate visual horror yeah. of like a hundred of them suddenly like, you know, <laughs> yeah, crawling no, in all directions. It's, it's uh it'll, it'll make you do a double take. Yeah, for sure. No, I,
3: I love spiders, but like I have, I still like have that instinct of if I see a spider, I have, I have a startle reflex, which right, is why right. I unfortunately smooshed that poor little spider baby. Rip in peace. You were too good for this world. Pour one out. Uh, pour one out. But I understand, like being afraid of spiders is nothing to be ashamed of. It's I think are we are very instinctively uh, afraid of of spiders and snakes and things that could potentially bite us and cause some problems, although most spiders are completely harmless. But are there any spiders? because for the most part, spiders just want to avoid us. They don't even the, Venomous spiders don't really want to have to bite you. They they do that out of a defense mechanism. They don't, you know, chase after you to bite you. It, they are basically they want to be left alone. They want to leave you alone. They don't really want to do much with humans. They just want to snack on bugs and and spend time alone. But there is an exception to this in that there is a spider that just wants to have a big old party with other spiders and with humans. And it is the cutest little thing. The winner of Miss Congeniality Among Spiders, Chikunia Bilde, who is a small heart-shaped spider from Bali, who is a sweet little cutie who wants to give you a big hug eight times with each of its arms.
4: I love it. That's a heck of a name, Chikunia Bilde. Mm-hmm. It, so, okay, I see the little baby spiders around mm-hmm. it. And that is a weird... I don't think I've ever seen an abdomen shape like that. Like, it... Yeah. It's, it comes to, like, almost a spike at the end, but it yeah. has these two... It's got... Katie, this spiders have got some curves on it. I'm just, <laughs> not, to, not to get weird about the spider, but... Real spiders like,
3: have curves.
4: They absolutely do. Um... Man, that is a weird looking, that's a bizarre looking critter right there.
3: Yeah, it's like its abdomen is kind of heart shaped, although it's not quite got like the divot at the top. It's sort of like a like a teardrop shape where the pointy end is at the most posterior point and then it kind of bulges out. And then it has the the thorax uh, uh, that is much smaller than it. Yeah, it is. it is very strange looking. And it, it looks a little intimidating, perhaps sometimes like the, the, the that it comes to sh- such a sharp point. I think it's kind of cute, but it is completely harmless to humans. So these little guys are very tiny. They're only about three to four millimeters big. They have a shiny black or black and brown abdomen that is that like po- interesting, like teardrop pointy kind of heart shape. And they not only like to hang out with their own species, but similar species as well. So many spiders are not social. They will actually cannibalize each other, or at least they'll cannibalize other species of spiders. But uh, Chicuna bilde likes to socialize not only with their own species, but with their close cousins. And they like to hang out in human areas because they like to eat our pests. So they will actively seek out human habitations so gardens or agricultural areas and they will eat the pests that plague our plants and our crops
4: so this is a true like definition of spider bro
3: exactly this is the most broest of spiders
4: that's that's incredible i love it i didn't realize so these things really are tiny though like they are 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 almost microscopic
0: you can
3: see them they're well, like well,
4: yeah 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 not not very well probably with my eyesight but <laughs> they're uh...
3: like, I mean three to four millimeters it's like it's bigger than an ant so it's like hmm the size of like a baby button like a little tiny button that you'd have on like a baby onesie
4: okay okay <laughs> That's a uh, an interesting unit of measurement. I don't know yeah, that I know how buttons. big a baby baby button is, <laughs> but uh, I will <laughs> I will I will look it up a afterwards. A small
3: button, a little okay. button.
4: Gotcha, gotcha.
3: So, what makes these spiders so interesting compared to other social spiders? Because there are social spiders that will form these big like communal webs and hang out together. Is not is that they don't just coexist peacefully with themselves but with related species and they hang out together they eat together but they don't breed with this close r- closely related species this cousin species so they are not hanging out thinking that oh this is just my own species it's not a mistake they don't breed with them because they recognize this is not my own species uh, and they don't need them for reproduction or anything they stay within their own breeding group of their species, but they still hang out with this other species to hunt and to find food and safety in numbers. So it's really interesting. And even when their population gets overly dense and food starts to get more scarce, they still don't resort to cannibalism. So So
4: this is like... Because uh, I, I hang out with people that aren't necessarily, you know, that aren't really my speed. A lot of times, I enjoy the company of all sorts of different, different folks, different types of friends and stuff. So, like, that's basically what this spider is doing—is kind of uh, uh, ha- has a variety of a social circle, yeah. Uh, if you will,
3: yeah, exactly. And then it's like, oh, you're not, you're not my species, but you're like a close cousin to my species. Like, let's team up. Why not? You know, let's that's just cool hang out together. It'd be like if we saw some bonobos and instead of destroying their habitat, we're like, Hey, what? We're very similar. Let's hang exactly. out. Let's chill.
4: Exactly. Like or or like Jane Goodall did with the chimpanzees.
3: Right, exactly. You
4: know? Like that man, that's fascinating.
3: It's like, you know, with I mean, we kind of did that a little bit with Neanderthals, although there's some debate as to whether we killed off Neanderthals or just. Yeah, like, I was going to say that with them. <laughs> that
4: didn't go uh, too well for the Neanderthals. Right. Exactly. I don't
3: think. But we did sort of breed with them a lot. And so, right, so there right. is still Neanderthal DNA in our DNA. But it'd be as if we just hung out with Neanderthals and we're like, hey, you guys are cool. and We just hung out. And like there was no conflict because like we didn't evolve from Neanderthals, we were like cousin species.
4: Right, right. We co- co-evolved alongside each other. We had right. a, a we common had, ancestor. Right, we
3: had a common ancestor. We split off, and uh, but but they they aren't like we didn't like evolve from the Neanderthals. Right. So uh, yeah, so we kind of like killed our <laughs> kill either killed our own cousin species off or bred them out of existence.
4: You're either a cousin kisser or a cousin killer, I guess.
3: (laughs) That's a great way to look at humanity. And these spiders don't just stop at being friends with their cousin species. They also care for their own offspring. They feed their offspring while they're young. This is rare enough in spiders, but not only do they feed their own offspring, they take care of their neighbor's offspring as well. What? They babysit? they babysit and they feed these other babies they have communal caretaking of their young which is just the sweetest thing
4: that's so bizarre like i it, like you said it's rare enough in like the larger animal kingdom for animals to do this like to care for their young through like particularly non-mammals. Right, uh, especially
3: insects. Like, yes, like yes. Insects don't tend to, they, they don't do as much parental care as other species.
4: Right, they they lay an egg sack and then they vamoose, you know, they're, <laughs> they're out of there. Uh, and then they have 200 children that, you know, right. immediately have to either become prey or hunt prey. So that is absolutely fascinating that these things babysit. And so, like, is it because... You know, like, with the shark things, or with the, with the shark population, they, they might have complex emotions that we just can't comprehend. With spiders, is there, like, a benefit to, like, there being a part of a larger spider population as yeah. far as food goes, or, or defense?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. No, they are definitely benefiting from forming a, a communal area because they're it's probably easier to get prey because they can find an area and team up against against this prey and like if they if they can't find food for their offspring a neighbor maybe could find food for their offspring and they can build a web together so like they can have a, a bigger web that can catch more things. Also by being together they uh, are safer, you know, safety in numbers, and they can fend off uh, other spiders more easily, some, something that may not be as friendly. So there's definitely tangible benefits to them being in this group together, whether this is coming from a place of emotion, like I, we were talking about earlier with like sharks and with humans, we do have tangible benefits by forming uh, community and, and form, forming friendships, but we do it out of emotion. It's hard to say because spiders are very, very simple. They're they're they don't have the same kind of brain that say a, a human or a shark has. So to say like well a spider forms these these connections out of emotion, I think is potentially a step too far. I, I just it's hard to it's impossible to know exactly what goes on in a spider's teeny tiny little brain. <laughs> I. I I don't know what they may have some kind of reward system though. And it's hard to know like, what is the distinction between, like, say, a reward system that a spider has and like emotion in a more complex creature. And that's, an, that's a question I don't really have an answer to. It's kind of like when you have a robot that you program to kind of have a reward system or something or want to seek out something. At what point is that robot sentient? It's right. the same question with with animals. Like we know we are sentient and we have a pretty good guess that things like apes and dolphins and elephants are sentient. Like it's I think that's pretty clear. Right. But then as we start to get to more simple animals like we get to sharks and it's like I think they're sentient. I don't know how much emotion they feel or or what is the depth of their emotion, but I think they do feel it. I think that's that's a safe guess. But then you start to get to insects and it's like well I don't know. I just don't know what the the depth of their feeling is. I would guess there maybe they f- they feel existence to some degree, but it's very limited. It's right. like a very, just kind of very limited existence. So it's really hard for us to even conceive of what that's like. Because we, it's almost like we're too complicated to <laughs> sure, understand sure. what that would be like to experience.
4: It's like, you know, uh, man's, uh... Comparison of us to a uh, being that would could be considered a god, you right. know, an omnipotent, omnipresent. It's it's the same equivalent as a cockroach to us, you know, <laughs> as far as like the complexity level yeah. goes, you know. Yeah. Not that one is more important than the other, but just the level of complexity there is is something that the cockroach cannot comprehend, just like we could not comprehend yeah. uh, a being uh, that powerful. Well, I'm going to uh just assume that these spiders are having barbecues mm-hmm. and cookouts with each other and
3: Little fly kebabs
4: Exactly. It's the same thing as, like, inviting your neighbors over for a cookout. Everybody brings a dish, you know, that way, like, one person is not supplying all the food. It makes things <laughs> easier, um, you know, You know, basically like a potluck kind of yeah. thing, situation going on. And they're having a good time. They probably listen to music of some sort that we can't yeah. comprehend because we're not spiders. <laughs> um,
3: There's so, a little like, spider manning the grill with a little apron <laughs> that says, like um regurgitate food for the cook <laughs>
4: exactly he's got a spatula in all yeah. eight uh legs <laughs> eight little like legs. he's flipping flipping yeah. uh many, spider many, burgers many yeah. little
3: they, they eat mosquitoes and white fly which are super annoying pests for humans but he's just got a bunch he's making a bunch of white fly burgers and Hell flipping yeah. everything they, Mosquito they're hot also hot dogs they're also apparently very docile and they don't bite people, so like they they tend to be handled pretty well if you're very gentle. They just this is don't. a
4: perfect spider. Can I buy <laughs> these online and just release them in my house? Is that legal? Probably not. I don't not. think so.
3: Unfortunately, I think you'd have okay. to travel to Bali to be able to meet one of these little guys. But let yeah, one, they, they're, let
4: one hitch a ride in my suitcase or something.
3: Then you're responsible for a new invasive species. <laughs> exactly.
4: Exactly. Who
3: could blame you? Right. But maybe a less charismatic insect that is a lot less cute, uh, a lot less fun to look at, is the earwig. Now, there are a number of insects that even I am grossed out by, and earwigs (laughs) are one of them. Yeah. I, I I don't like to look at them. I don't like to encounter them. They're kind of one of my uh they're, they're kind of blacklisted from from my home you know i have a few like cockroaches uh silverfish and earwigs have you, sort of you're been... just
4: not on the list not don't on the list. don't I'm sorry yeah, i yeah, check not a tiny little
3: clipboard and i'm like <laughs> exactly. checking it i'm saying I'm sorry sir i don't see you on the list oh man they are on un- they they don't they don't look great let's let's be honest i'm not going right. to sugarcoat it they've got pincers on their butt yeah
4: they're- they've got They've got butt pincers. They got like... butt
3: pincers. They are long, shiny, black, sometimes sort of brownish. They move in that slithery, unsettling manner because they're segmented and they kind of have a little bit of the centipede movement. But but they also have butt pincers. And yeah, no, I, I I they're gross.
4: We've got so we have the European earwig here in North Carolina that we get in the house sometimes. And they're, they're also like the one that you've got here in front of me has like some cool coloring to it. Like the, it almost looks like a, a fiddler crab claw, the pincer on the nose yeah. you know, it's got, it's got like a, like the, a, a bright red to it. And then it's back is like silver, but this kind in North Carolina is like. Uh, I don't know if you can see that.
3: Let's see, uh,
4: no, it's blurring it. It's like brown. It's just like cockroach color. Yeah, no, yeah,
3: yeah, I've seen so that kind. Yeah,
4: it looks like a cockroach to begin with. Then it's got, like you said, the centipede wiggliness of its like segmented. Uh, what is that thorax? Uh, uh, so
3: yeah, they've got they've got the thorax is the upper body. The, okay. the abdomen is the lower body. Okay, so that that
4: weird uh, like. Uh, I don't even know what to compare that to, but, but it, it like has that wiggly notion to it. And then those, those pinchers, do those pinchers, I, I will not bite cause it's not yep. their mandible. So no, is that they what you call it? They
3: can use them. They can use them to bite. They use them to, uh, defend themselves if it feels threatened and they use them to hunt. So they definitely use them as pincers.
4: Wow. It seems kind of inefficient. Like, Usually things attack the front. I yeah. feel like, but if you're a predator, I guess you bite wherever you want to, and if those, the, it doesn't matter where those pincers are yeah. directed. Well, it,
3: it can curl its backside, sort of like a scorpion. You know how a okay. scorpion has a okay. stinger on its backside, so it curls up and can, can sort of strike at things or defend itself. So that's that's how it uses its horrible, horrible butt pincers. <laughs> and yeah, they they. The, the that picture that you're looking at is actually a St. Helena earwig of the Western Goths. It's a, I think, one of the coolest looking ones. It also looks like it crawled right out of hell because it's got those <laughs> bright, bright uh, red pincers, a black abdomen, and then a silver thorax. It's super metal looking, very, very uh, intimidating. But if you see those pincers, it's actually kind of a good sign if you're worried about them being parasites, because any earwig that has pincers is not a parasite. Uh, okay. They can bite you hmm. and they will if they feel threatened, but sure. they aren't they are, will only do it in self-defense. They do not crawl in your ear and lay eggs in your brain. That's a myth. They despite being called earwigs, they really don't want to have anything to do with your ears. The only time they would go in your ear would be by on accident, just like not realizing. And so they they if they've got pincers, they're not parasites. There are some species of earwigs who are parasites, not on humans, but actually on bats. But they do not have the butt pincers. They actually just look like weird, large ants. Uh, They kind of look like a between like a Jerusalem cricket and an ant.
4: So that's a that's an earwig I'm looking at right above it
3: a species wow. of earwig. Yeah.
4: Okay. I would have never guessed that.
3: No, you wouldn't have. They don't have the look. They don't look like they don't look creepy in the sense that earwigs do, but those right. are actually creepier because they are parasites. We don't have anything to fear from them, but they they do feed on bats, which I think is sad cuz leave the bats alone. We love Seriously,
4: bats. Seriously. I love bats so much.
3: Despite earwigs, the one the non-parasitic earwigs with the devil's tongs coming out of their butts. The
4: devil's tongs is such a good name for that. The devil's tongs. That sounds like a. Yeah, that's great.
3: It's true they might bite you if you handle them, but they just think that you're trying to kill them and they're probably not wrong. So, you know, self defense. And other than their bad reputation, they're actually pretty sweet. They're amazing and loving mothers. So. Like we talked about, you know, most insects are not that interested in caring for their young. Even like other arthropods, like uh, arachnids, tend not to care for their young. Unlike the the species we talked about earlier, the the sweet little friendly heart shaped spider. Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of insects, a lot of arthropods don't don't take care of their young. Now, uh, there are examples of arthropods who who do take care of their young. The the heart-shaped spider being one of them that we talked about earlier. Scorpions famously carry their young on their back. And uh, some insects do as well, including the earwig, and they tend to be very, very caring mothers. So earwig mothers are very dedicated to their young mom of the year award. They will fast for months, not eating just so they can look after their nest they will constantly clean their eggs. And if they detect pathogens in their environment, they will clean their eggs more often and be even more vigilant around their nest. So if they're chased away by a predator and they detect that there's pathogens, they will run back to their nest as soon as possible to start cleaning their eggs again because they do not want their eggs to become infected. And this is really important because earwigs can be the victims of parasitic fungus. And uh, so, yeah, they they are meticulous, just constantly cleaning. They'll even move their entire nest of eggs away if they are in danger. So pick everybody up and move it away, uh, which is an incredible feat. And yeah, even even after the eggs hatch, the earwig mothers continue to care for their young. So they'll help them hatch, They regurgitate food for the young hatchlings, and they will care for them for months until the babies are really ready to strike out on their own.
4: There's nothing like a a mother's love, and that can't be expressed more clearly than regurgitating food for your young. (laughs) Honestly, it's the most beautiful thing that Mother Nature has to offer.
3: It's it's this... uh, most animals do it. Humans are kind of the weird ones for not, yeah. not you know, regurgitating food as a sign I of agree. love. I agree.
4: Any moms listening out there, if you truly love your kids, you will chew their food up, <laughs> swallow it, enough. then throw it back up for them to make it easier for them to digest. Just this
3: podcast is not responsible for people who actually try to do that.
4: I feel like I do nothing but say irresponsible stuff on your show. <laughs> I apologize, Katie. I'm sorry.
3: It's fine. We just need you to sign here and yes.
4: here and <laughs> sign here. Multiple waivers, uh, <laughs> documents saying, You will be take responsible for any
3: vomit slash shark hugging <laughs> lawsuit that we oh, that man. we get. Uh, but yeah, no, it is. It's something where you look at this thing, this earwig. It looks like some nightmare that Satan came up with as he was tossing a salad with his with his tongs. And 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 it's they they are just sweet, loving mothers who care for their their babies. Of course, like I said earlier, it's hard to know. You know, this is probably mostly instinct. Like these are little little mom bots that, that do these things out of instinct. Probably not a lot of fore, forethought about it, but, you know, it's it's. I think it's still adorable and cute, uh, despite what they look like.
4: I do too. I love it.
0: A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season... Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday.
2: Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm
1: Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments.
0: The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing
1: compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of
4: change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become.
1: Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: So... You mentioned earlier, Christy, that you love bats.
4: I do. I absolutely love bats. Um, I uh, grew up just seeing them around my house all the time, you know, like playing basketball on the street at night. And uh, you could could basically throw rocks up uh, at the streetlight and they would swoop down after the rocks. And it was just a cool thing to see. We never harmed them or anything. I don't have any sad stories regarding bats. (laughs) Nothing like that. Uh, but they're absolutely adorable. They're so much cuter than people give them credit for. And again, and I think obviously this is the theme of your episode. Like bats have such a bad reputation. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's because of Dracula or the whole like spooky aspect of them around Halloween. But they they get a bum rap, and yeah. they they shouldn't. They absolutely should not.
3: Yeah. And we talked about this on our. Episode of it called uh, the origin on the origin of feces, where we had <laughs> we had a uh, Rodrigo Medellin, who is a, a professor of bat ecology at the University of Mexico, and he's known as the Batman of Mexico because he's done so much for the conservation of long nosed bats. And that that's a if you love bats, please listen to that episode. It's a great interview. He's a wonderful, fascinating guy, and and we talk about like he loves bats and he wants to. Uh, talk about like the, the, the benefits of bats to humanity and how they, they truly get an undeserved reputation. And I think uh, one of the species of bats who kind of get gets like the worst reputation of the bats is the vampire bats. And, you know, despite being only, there, there's over a thousand species of bats, only three species of bats are vampire bats that that actually drink blood and everyone for whatever reason this is the most sensational kind of thing people have this idea that most bats drink blood the majority of bats do not drink blood most of them are frugivores meaning they'll eat fruit insectivores they'll eat in- insects and there are a few species that are carnivores those are more rare but none of them are uh, a danger to humans uh, other than you know the the rare cases of rabies and so on but the the Vampire bats themselves, I think, really get an undeserved bad reputation, and, uh, you know, we've we've talked about them a little bit on the show before, the fact that vampire bats really don't tend to drink human blood. There's only one species that has been found to drink human blood. This is the hairy-legged vampire bat of South and Central America and Southern Mexico, and they're absolutely adorable. It's they, to me. They look like just like like Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Uh, yeah, that's
4: exactly what it looks like. Actually, they're
3: they're so cute. They got these big eyes. They got this cute little cute little smile. They they're furry. They've got little earsies. I would absolutely let this bat drink my blood if I knew there was if if this bat has like he got his, his rabies test and, right, and he's right. fine like you can absolutely have some of my butt, blood you little sweetie. Look at I you, would, you. So cute.
4: <laughs> I would I I feel the exact same way. Yeah. He's adorable. And these things these these vampire bats are tiny too, right? Yeah. They're they're little guys.
3: Yeah, little tiny guys. They they just fit in in your hand, like in the palm of your hand. They're not and they when they drink blood, even when it's uh, like th- these guys, the hairy-legged vampire bat tend to drink blood from birds like chickens. Um uh, most vampire bats will tend to uh drink blood from cattle, like cows or pigs. Right, right. Uh and they just drink a little bit of blood. They do n- they never suck their prey dry. That's a total myth. They don't kill their prey. The only time their prey dies is during the inadvertent transmission of something like rabies, which is pretty, it's still pretty rare. It's like people think that most bats have rabies. That's not true. The majority of bats do not have rabies. It's just that the ones who do, you might, there's sort of a um, confirmation bias because if there's a sick bat that you find on the ground kind of struggling and, and who lets you pick it up. Like that's more likely to have rabies than your average bat because it's sick. Sure. Um, so I still do not advocate. You know, you still be very careful around bats. Don't just pick up a random bat you find on the ground. Not a good idea. But most bats do not have rabies. It's, they're not just a bunch of you know <laughs> disease things flying around. Uh, but and the same goes for vampire bats. So they they don't kill animals by drinking their blood. And they really, they're all about stealth. It's like a little stealth mission. They, they, you know, wait until they see, you know, sense a nice blood filled animal nearby and they drop down and quickly scamper over to their, usually an ankle or something and just do a little incision with their tiny needle like teeth. And they, they actually have really fascinating noses that have these little divots that can detect blood flow. So they find the They'd be great doctors' assistants to help them find a vein to to do an infusion because they have these amazing little little detection organs. But they they find where they can get a good blood flow, do a little incision, just sip a little bit of blood. And it really it's not especially when it's like something like a pig or a or a, a cow. Like they're they're not going to hurt the them by drinking their blood. They're not taking enough blood. The animals.
4: Really- don't yeah. even notice, probably. Yeah,
3: yeah. most of the time. Like, it might be kind of irritating sometimes, but that's probably probably the, the worst. It's
4: like a bug bite. Is
3: yeah, exactly. So they're really not scary at all. In fact, they're very sweet, and they will, in terms of bat society, they're very caring about each other, and they will share their food with their friends. So bats make friends, too, just like sharks, just like people. They will form companionships with specific other bats. And so uh, bats in general have very rapid metabolisms, especially vampire bats, and going without a meal for too long can kill them. So it only takes three nights of missing meals for a vampire bat to die of starvation. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's
4: the saddest thing I've ever heard.
3: Well, don't be sad for too long because bats will help out a neighbor in need. Bats will share food with other bats if there's a bat who's hungry. One of their friends will regurgitate a bit of their blood meal for the needy bat. And then in the future, this bat will reciprocate, feeding other... Friends that need food and will help them out in hard times.
4: They'll pay it forward.
3: They'll pay it forward. They have a bat social safety net. They're that's, more advanced than the U.S. I
4: was about to say <laughs> that's, that's more than can be said for most of the fifty states uh, yeah. and our federal government for the most they part. They don't
3: even make the bats like sign up for food stamps. And, there's like, no
4: means testing. It's just no means like
3: testing. there's no shaming. There's no if you're hungry. No, yeah. Yeah, Eat. just just come and get a little bit of blood vom. You know, a little that's bit of amazing.
4: Blood vomit. That's amazing. Do do these bats? I meant to ask you when when they do the little incision. Is there anything in their saliva that's like kind of a coagulation agent,
3: like an anticoagulant?
4: That's I think... well, I didn't know. Like like, yeah, an anticoagulant. I guess that would be the the term that I'm I'm thinking of.
3: Yeah, they, they have an anticoagulant. I don't think they have anything that like numbs the area, but okay, they do have okay. an anticoagulant that makes the uh blood flow a little easier. These
4: things are so highly evolved. Yes. They're so so incredible.
3: Yeah, they're they're it's it it is pretty amazing too that that they have their little noses have these tiny pores that they can detect heat coming from veins, so they can get uh blood flow pretty easily, so that they can you know so they're not they are surgical they're like little little tiny blood sucking doctors <laughs>
4: that's amazing
3: <laughs> and and so uh it's in a lot of species of animals like parents will often regurgitate food for their offspring and in you social insects like bees and ants they will regurgitate food for Adults, but it's within this colony of like sisters, of relatives.
0: Right. But it's
3: extremely unusual in the animal kingdom for unrelated adults who are not interested in mating with each other to regurgitate food for each other purely out of a sort of like friendship bonding thing. that is that's rare. That is quite rare. And they uh, will form these these close friendships with each other. And researchers have studied these vampire bats and they, they've found that they form these bonds by, they they take it slow. They like to take it slow and build up trust over time. So it's not not just like this unthinking, like, I will feed you and then you feed me and then we're good. Capiche, Like, they right. will slowly build up trust over time. So they'll start off with smaller gestures. Maybe they'll do a little bit of grooming. They'll like, you know check for parasites on each other, and they'll groom each other. and then and then, after they've done some grooming, gotten to know each other, then maybe they'll share a little bit of a blood meal with their new friend. and then
4: a first a first date kind right, of right a first kind of date,
0: yeah. but it's
3: it can what's so incredible is this can be completely platonic. They can have no interest in mating, and sure. it can be purely just a friendship where, you know, where you just regurgitate blood for your friends and yeah, and exactly.
4: You know? Everybody, you know that's that's a normal thing to do uh, when your friend needs some regurgitated blood and you've right. got some despair. Right. Then exactly, hundred percent. Yeah, hook yeah. it up.
3: And uh, yeah, so they so basically, if they are getting, they make these small investments early on in the friendship, basically to make sure that you know this is a mutual friendship that that they'll they'll it's a give and take. And then they start to invest more in their friends. And then it gets to the point where basically like they will, you know, give them a good amount of food just like when they are in need and then they'll get reciprocated. And so it forms this 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 safety network, this this it's mute bat mutual aid. It's it's very cool.
4: That's 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 amazing. That's uh, yeah. Like the obviously these these uh, these bats live in these huge colonies and I never I never realized just the uh, complexity and the intricacies of of the, the I mean they're really societies almost yeah. you know like yeah, like you absolutely. could you could call them they might not uh, uh, look like what we think of as a society but when you have complex interactions like that when you have basically bats getting to know each other and making sure the other one's cool yeah, and yeah and uh and helping like you said bat mutual aid yeah that's a that's that's pretty that i can't it can't be stressed enough how highly evolved these things are yeah
3: and, th- and it's not just vampire bats there are lots of different species of bats of course it depends on the species there are some species that are more solitary but but a lot of species of bats will form these big groups and they all they all huddle together in in caves or in trees and they and they form these like big communes and they are of of a lot of these species of like communal animals they're very like pacifist with each other there aren't really that there's not that much conflict. They're very chill, low drama animals.
4: Well, when you're that cute, like you can't you can't get <laughs> mad at that face.
3: Look right? at the little baby. This I, I so included adorable. one of my favorite pictures of a vampire bat. It's a, uh, I think this is a white white winged vampire bat. It's it, it's absolutely it's just got a little smile, <laughs> it's a a little, little smile, a little, a little turned grin. up
4: nose. Yeah, yeah. A little little turned up nose. The big ears. They are so the, uh, cute. Oh, they're adorable.
3: If I could have if I could have one mulligan on like an unethical pet, like a, a pet that I really shouldn't have, it would be a <laughs> yeah. bat. It would sure. be a bat. Yeah, I, absolutely.
4: I've seen video of those uh golden flying fox bats.
3: Yeah. Those so giant
4: adorable. ones. Yeah and like I've seen I don't know if people are illegally keeping them as pets or if it's <laughs> in a sanctuary or what. Yeah. But those things are the cutest like they're yes. cuter than like a lot of dogs that I see. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they're have they're you ever just... seen
3: them eating a grape?
4: Yes. Yes. It's so it's, it's the most adorable thing in the yeah. world. It's like it's it's the cutest video you could imagine. Yeah. But they're huge too. I don't yeah. understand the the physics Megabats. and the aerodynamics. Yeah, yeah they're they're they're, they're as big as small dogs basically. Well they have they...
3: they're well they're little they're actual bodies minus their wings is gonna be smaller than a right, dog. Right, right,
4: right. Smaller,
3: smaller than the smallest dog. It's it's gonna be uh their wingspan though is gigantic because in order to hoist up, like even even something that's like bigger, they're like a little their their actual body size is maybe a little bigger than a rat. Um like a large rat. Uh so they need a massive wingspan to keep them aloft so like when you look at them wings and all they're truly giant i also like that they're called megabats the biggest megabat is the great flying fox
4: megabat is such a cool name yeah it (laughs) is absolutely right and they
3: they can they they only weigh about uh a little over three pounds or 1.6 kilograms so pretty small in total but their wingspan is uh, almost six feet or uh, almost two meters long. So wow, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, yeah. So they, but it's th- what you're asking. Like, how do they even get in the air? That's the answer. They're pretty lightweight, but they have a huge wingspan. Because the gotcha. the bigger you are, the bigger wings you need to be able to get up in the air.
4: This has been the most educational experience I've ever had with bats since Ace Ventura, too, um, <laughs>
3: where he eats guano.
4: Yes, exactly. <laughs> This is this has been so much fun.
3: Well, I, I'm I'm glad to be in the company of a fellow bat appreciator. I I love them so much. Obviously, we shouldn't keep bats as pets. I'm just saying, if I could have one mulligan on an unethical pet, it would be a bat because they're so cute. But don't don't have bats as pets. Uh.
4: I might. It's illegal in North Carolina to own a raven, mm. uh, but I think that might be my mulligan because of how yeah. intelligent those things are. Yeah. And I love them so much.
3: You would be it would be like living with a two-year-old who can claw and bite at you <laughs> yes, though.
0: Exactly. Intelligent
3: birds, as much as I love intelligent birds, I would never want one as a pet because they would it's like a little dinosaur that has the brain of a two-year-old and <laughs> and no know, and knows how to inflict pain. I have a friend who knows exactly what it's like taking care of like a, a, a cockatoo. And and ravens are quite intelligent as well. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to show you. Uh, I'll send you a, a YouTube video of someone who takes care of a bunch of uh, big birds in a. There's like a bird uh, sanctuary, and she has a raven, and she's like, she's basically. This is not my pet. This is. A, a raven who has decided to be my tenant in this this aviary oh wow and, you know we have to come to basic agreements but if she doesn't want to do something she's not going to do something
4: right right. so they
3: they are very independent and so i feel like if if i was if i was to have an unethical familiar i'd want to bat because i think they'd just be real chill I yeah, probably need yeah. more than one bat though, because I wouldn't want to isolate them from from their companions. Yeah, I just,
4: like you, you have to have bat friends. And I that, just c- like, that's...
3: live in a cave with a bunch of bats.
4: Yeah, that that's under the same mulligan though. Like <laughs> under the that, same that, mulligan. Yeah, exactly. You don't need right. a bunch of individual mulligans for that. Like the, right, the right. one mulligan just a, is a
3: flock of bats.
4: Exactly, exactly.
3: <laughs> and I'd let them all drink my blood, and I'd probably <laughs> pass out. <laughs>
4: Hopefully you're not iron deficient or anything like that, no.
3: that well, I'd could probably get, tricky. get anemia and I'd go to the doctor and it's like, huh, you have severe anemia It's like, it's fine, it's has an-
4: babies. Uh, Katie, has anything recently changed in your life? Uh, mm. Any any major, uh, uh, you know
3: I adopted a flock of vampire bats Oh, okay. and I switched to no dairy It's probably the no dairy thing
4: Probably the no dairy thing Yes, exactly, exactly <laughs>
3: Well, Chrissy Yamaguchi-Maine, thank you so much for being on the show today and for highlighting the sweet, cute sides of some animals who are unfairly maligned. Uh, where can people find you?
4: You can find me on Twitter at Wapplehouse, W-A-P-P-L-E-H-O-U-S-E. Um, that's the easiest way to keep up with me and uh, other shows that I host uh, like Lauer After Hours and Jort Center um, and that's basically it listen listen to those shows if you're a fan of Dan Lebitard's show um, kind of uh, sports radio um, type, of, type of thing if you're a fan of his show we do a podcast that kind of revolves around that universe called Lower After Hours and then Jort Center Pod is me and uh four of the funniest people i have ever met or heard uh they're just lifelong friends of mine so and you regurgitate
3: we talk... blood into their mouths
4: yeah absolutely i have many times um usually oh, after a sweet. long night of drinking yeah. uh you know doing doing drugs and stuff you know it it uh it it's it's a good hangover remedy basically yeah. is, is yeah. what i'm saying
0: yeah
3: but of uh, you know the saying like uh friendships are great if they outlast the battery in a shark tracking device or and or if they vomit a little bit of blood in your mouth
4: you know i think i have that on a cross stitch hanging up in the hallway i think my grandma made made one of those for me when i was very little so i've
3: got one of those wood burnings it's like live laugh let your friendships last longer than a shark tracking device and vomit blood in your friend's mouth
4: so yeah, it's, uh,
3: cu- it's a little corny, but yeah,
4: it, I mean, it's—is it it's long-winded? Kitchen. Sure, but is it—is it you know—is it a life—is a saying that we're very familiar with for a reason? Yes, because it's true. <laughs> it's very true.
3: One of those eternal truths. Well, you can find the show on the internet at Creature Feature Pod on Instagram at Creature Feet Pod on Twitter. That's F not f-e-e-t that's Something very different. And, of course, uh, you can send in emails at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com, where you can send in all your questions, your pictures of your cute little doggies and kitties and pets, and uh, I'm also Katie Golden on the internet, at Katie Golden on Twitter. Uh, So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show and you have, like, just a minute to spare, you could press that. The star buttons, give it a rating. If you have even a little more time and you give it a review, I will read it. I read all the reviews. They absolutely make my day. They make me smile. Thank you for doing that. And thanks for the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Ex Illumina, Creature Features, a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? Wherever you listen to your favorite shows, I don't judge. See you next Wednesday.